Now that the state says we can't talk critical race theory, we'll have to reschedule our debate on the legitimacy of Formula One. I did just take a really fat dab, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Now that you're all dabbed up, would you like to give us a book report? Oh, no. Oh, no. Froze. Froze. The dab was that good. It froze (laughs) Elsa's brain. It was so powerful. I'm frozen? I'm back? back. No, you're You're back. back. Okay. So, Ebony, Ivory, Jade, going into it, I knew I was going to be amused and offended. (laughs) What I was most offended about, actually, was the fighting. So much of it, none of it good. (laughs) Hot takes. Hot takes right out of the gate. People are punching air. We're reacting to nothing. We're overselling, okay? I I learned about that from wrestling. (laughs) Pro wrestling. My also my other problem, Ebony, Ivory, Jade. Okay, listen, these are just superficial issues. I got some more. Okay, Ebony makes sense. Black. Hmm. Ivory makes sense. White. Jade is green. (laughs) (laughs) There's no green people. That last one was country of origin. Yeah, (laughs) y'all did that wrong. We got to do something that's what Ebony, Ivory, uh, tourmaline. I think those. My girlfriend does the crystals, so I know. (laughs) Here's the thing. There's a part of me that wants to like it. It really is working hard on being mediocre. Every movie we cover. I love that. They're really trying hard in the dialogue. It's set, what what is it, Hong Kong? Philippines? What is that? Hong Kong. Shot in Philippines (laughs) takes place in Hong Kong. (laughs) The fiction was Hong Kong. Well, why did they do that? Could you not go into Hong Kong at the time? Was that a thing? No, the Philippines was substantially cheaper to shoot in. <laughs> Makes Oh, yeah, okay. That tracks. That tracks. I just feel like we could have had somebody get in there and, like, an editor, like, erase some lines. Motherfuckers talk too long sometimes. It's just like, this movie had about 10 extra minutes and it should have. It's an hour and 20 minutes or whatever. This shit could have been done in 60 Right? <laughs> Not wrong. This is a 45 minute CSI. <laughs> get in, get out. I lost track of the crime even happening. You know? like, after a while, it just sort of came like a wall of movement, like, uh, like a magic eye. <laughs> it's just fights are happening in front of me and i forget who's doing what or where's the bad guy there's a lot of people in this movie how the fuck do they put so many people and in no this? lighting so <laughs> and it's in the you know it's in the, at first i tried watching this on my phone and i thought something was wrong yeah, you can't do that. so i cast it to to my tv and i thought the tv was out of sync with the YouTube, and then I put it back on my computer. I'm like, oh no, this is how it's shot. <laughs> Bro, I wind up looking at so many people just watching mouths because I'm just intrigued about how it doesn't match up. You know, like it's distracting. <laughs> but it was cute. The girls were cute, right? A playmate of the month, two of them. Really? Yeah. Really? We got centerfolds in this movie. 
You can't expect the best actor for that. It's just like, uh, you know, the Kardashians or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, actually, let me tell you this. All the Kardashians feel intimidatingly good looking. Right? It's like, it's kind of like a reverse uncanny valley, right? Like, you know, when things start to look too lifelike, there's like a little limit where it's like, ah, this is creepy. I think the same thing goes for attractive people, right? There's a point where you get where it's just like you're you're too perfect, and they all go out and buy the same face, so it feels weird, you know? Anyway, sorry, tangent. Could you, uh, just more for me, for fun, yeah. Elsa, yeah. could you give us yeah. like, what's your 30 second long explanation of the plot of this movie? Oh, I actually wrote that down. Because I just figured I would need to summarize. Okay, uh, they're athletes, right? uh, Wait, am I on a timer right now? No, no, no. no. (laughs) Your time begins now. Oh, okay. Uh, They're like uh, uh, a fucking track team or whatever, and uh, they go to Hong Kong. They're like a crime squad or whatever, like a... Like a gang of thugs or something for ransom, maybe? I don't know. They just fall in with the wrong crowd or something? I don't know exactly what happens, (laughs) but they get kidnapped, and then they have to not be kidnapped. They fight their way out of the kidnapping. There's a crime ring. You described this plot as perfectly as the movie describes this plot. So yeah, that's, <laughs> that, that's it. Actually, I thought saying do it really quickly would be more of a struggle. I didn't realize you could sum up this movie in about a <laughs> sentence and a half. Olympic champions, Shanghai. We're being sold as slaves. A hundred years of progress and I'm back where my grandmother was. I bet we made the cover of Newsweek. I bet we make the cover of Jet. <laughs> You're better off dead when they start blasting lead. Ebony, ivory, and jade. Killing is their trade. With fist, foot, and blade, they can lick any man ever made. I'm ready for my close-up, Cecil B. DeMille. The bell has been rung. The podcast has begun. Quick roll call first. Greg Hansen. I love titles of things that are just like three pieces of completely nonsense information. (laughs) The good, the bad, the ugly, ebony, ivory, and jade, and my personal favorite, parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. (laughs) Josh Roth. Ebony, ivory, jade. Only the Avatar can control all three elements. (laughs) (laughs) Jamie Kennedy. Ebony and Ivory and Jade live together in not quite harmony, side by side on the track field, and Jade's kind of there too. Oh Lord, why are they all paired up? <laughs> that was not the tune to Ebony and Ivory. <laughs> you sort of lost it, but I I I've, it seen, I've seen the potential. <laughs> yeah. I saw the structure. I saw what you were going yeah. for. And therefore, no one can sue us. I am Casey Regan, and I have also written a title-based opening joke. Uh, <laughs> Ebony, Ivory, and Jade, very misleading title, makes it sound like the heroes of this film are three women, one black, one white, one green. But that's not quite the heroes of this movie. I think the better title would have been Ebony, Ebony, Jade for a second, Ebony's boyfriend, Nick Dorenzi, and some communist. <laughs> it is my absolute pleasure to introduce our exchange student for this episode. Stand-up comedian, activist, instructor, and host of the Your Fine podcast. 
please, video hi, welcome, Elsa Eli Waith, to the classroom. Yes, Woo! hello, it's me. Settle, children, settle. <laughs> do I get to do one of the things you guys yeah, just did? Yeah, do it. Ebony, Ivory, Jade. These were the ingredients chosen by Professor Utonio. <laughs> also, I looked it up, and this movie has several different titles. Oh, yeah. She Devils in Chains, initially? American Beauty Hostages? Honestly, more accurate. More yeah. accurate than any of <laughs> yeah. the others. Fox Fire and uh, Fox Force. The original title was apparently just Olympians, which I understand why they would change it. Yeah. <laughs> like, Charlie's Angels came out in 1976. Of course they would try to capitalize on it. But, like, truly Ebony Ivory and Jade is a misnomer of a title <laughs> at best. Yeah, yeah. If they would have just went with Foxfire. Or Fox Force. I think Fox Force is great. Now, I read correctly that Quentin Tarantino loves this movie, right? And that's why he worked Fox Force or Fox Force 5 into his movies. Did I read that correctly? Yeah. Tarantino, where's the 35mm print of this at the new Bev? I mean, to be honest, it's probably in a fucking swamp somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) I went on a website to try and identify who, because there's no credits at the end of this movie. Hard to learn names of characters because they don't say them very often. Hard to learn names of characters when the IMDb cast list lists three character names. Hard to understand names of characters when you cannot associate that character to a face because the entire film is just darkness. They shot day for night for day. Last point, hard to associate names with characters when the three names of characters that are the title of the movie are not actually ever mentioned related to them. I'm like, also, why didn't you all just name them Ebony, Ivory, and Jay? Uh, yeah. yeah. Also, Great. two Ebony's yeah. as characters. Yeah. The title names three people and there are are four main characters. There's like five yeah. main characters. Listen, Justice for Casey, Thank who you. was my favorite of all the characters and is not a title character. She has the best lines, the best ass kickery, but she's just there. And she survives to the end, unlike the other titled character, Jade. She's like neither chemical nor mineral. <laughs> <laughs> Those opening credits had two of maybe the greatest unintentional drag performer names I've ever seen. <laughs> Butts Aquino and Dick Piper. Those are great. Those yeah. are amazing. But I, I was trying to identify who Butts Aquino is and went to this website called Name That Filipino Actor. <laughs> oh, wow. I just love the internet. I love the internet so goddamn much. But uh, there was an alternate title for this film. When they are trying to sell it a whole different way, not with the Charlie's Angels angle, the Charlie's angle, which was... Uh, Call me Dorenzi. What? <laughs> it's all about Nick Dorenzi. I mean, that, op- that opens up a bigger universe for Nick Dorenzi that I don't, I'm not opposed to. The NDU, the Nick Dorenzi universe, yeah. cinematic universe. Oh. <laughs> I love Nick Dorenzi because they named him and I'm like, oh, one of my people. And then he shows up. They're like, yeah, we know we like made that. Like, you're going to see like a fucking Guido Italian guy and it's not. And they're just like, yeah, got to do that sometimes. <laughs> I was like, I feel betrayed, but the movie knew I would feel betrayed. <laughs> yep. It's almost like a good carnival sideshow thing where I was like, all right, respect. <sighs> the credits also had something I don't think I've ever seen in credits before. So much roller skating. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that just a, yeah. an unordinate <laughs> amount of roller skates. I skipped. I had 10 second, 10 second, 10 second. I was like, wow, we are still roller skating. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. Any movie that starts with generic Waka Chicka music is, yeah. is has got oh me. Oh my God, like, Greg, I literally oh, it's have called Waka Chicka music. Yeah. I love that you just Waka-chicka. named that. You really strap me into a seat if your movie opens with Waka Chicka. <laughs> I'm there I'm for it. It's a little like a drummer doing a stick count at the beginning of the song where like the tempo of the Waka Chickas gives you a sense of how the movie's going to be edited. So because the slower the Waka Chicka. Yeah, like Waka Chicka, Waka Chicka. It's like you're going to be like basically doing like a Marvin Gaye type movie where it's like, ooh, it's a lot of sexiness, a lot of long scenes. This movie's like Waka Chicka, Waka Chicka, Waka Chicka. You're like, like shit, okay, this is going to oh, be yeah, a lot oh, of panic attack. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> This movie is 80 minutes long and it has 80 scenes in it. No, these, these scenes do not last. That's like, what I'm saying. No. It's, it's, it's somehow too fast and too long. I hate it. How does yeah. this happen? It's too fast but not furious enough. We've talked about PM movies and the seven-minute challenge. This movie fucking does it and did it eons before PM started. Like, this movie had a fight. No joke. I think every three minutes. Yeah, no. It's, there's, there's not. What did I just say? This shit could have been like a little 60-minute romp. Put this on Monday night prime time between seven and eight mm. all right and that's all it needed okay throw a couple of limited commercial breaks in that bitch move some fucking tostinos and let's get out <laughs> of know? here i'm gonna tell you something the reason this movie is 80 minutes long is because they needed it to be at least 80 minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> of fucking course they just, i told you i felt like the movie was like 10 20 minutes too long yeah yes. yeah it's because the movie is 10 to 20 minutes too long they get kidnapped they try to escape they are thwarted. They try to escape. They're thwarted. They try to escape. They're thwarted. They try to escape. They do. <laughs> they lose approximately one member of their track team for each time they try to escape. <laughs> yeah. And then there's a, a local guy and a guy with an afro trying to get him out. And there's some yeah. double crossings mm-hmm. that I'm confused about the reasonings of. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It just sort of passes in front of your eyes, you know? And then you start to just see whatever you want. I remember this happening one other time before when I went to go see, what is that? shit transformers three (laughs) the third one at one point it was just like gears it was just gears and explosions i can't figure out what robot is what robot who's the good robot i'm just like explosions and scrap metal i don't even know what i'm looking at and uh, i just let it wash over me and that's what happened with this movie i just let it wash over me the rare bit of exposition we get in the movie is the literally the opening lines when we have a sports commentator telling who our titular Ebony and Ivory are. We will never refer to them by those names. Their names are actually Pam Rogers, the pride of Pensacola, so they say, and Ginger Douglas, the heiress to the Douglas supermarket chain and the only girl to have a coming out and a gold medal in one year. A coming out? I think that's like a sweet 16. Oh, oh, okay. I've never heard of this. (laughs) I didn't know we did that. You know, greet the baby gays. (laughs) (laughs) It's a dead heat. It looks like the beginning of another great sports rivalry. And we'll be watching it all the way to the Women's International Meet in Hong Kong. Why do we think they said it in Hong Kong? (laughs) When they shot it in Manila and refer to some of the villains as, like, the people from Manila. Yes. When everyone in the movie is 
playing Filipino. And they go out of their way to set it in Hong Kong because yeah. after the credits is the airport. I, I kind of thought maybe there was an Olympics in Hong Kong in oh. 1976, but there was not. No, it was in Montreal. But they were trying to kind of imply Olympics and maybe it's just because Olympics feels more believable in Hong Kong than the Philippines. I don't know. Sirio Santiago is one of the most prolific Filipino filmmakers. They're, they're doing Manila for Hong Kong and I was like, there sure are a lot of Filipinos in this bar in Hong Kong right now. <laughs> like, even though they're like, wow, Wow. It's cool to be here in Hong Kong, Hong which Kong. we definitely are, for sure. There's a line where, like, the embassy official that they talk to when they're trying to get the women back says... Well, they're Chinese. According to the witnesses, two of them were Chinese, so we figured that the rest are also. Which I think was also the philosophy of casting the movie as yes. well. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the audience will say. And this stuff like that is where, like, I'm taken right back to this sucks. You know, like, for two seconds I might be enjoying it, and then it's like, oh, that was incredibly, incredibly racist, and it brought back to how bad the movie sucks overall. Like, for two seconds, I might be having fun with this fight scene. I know nobody's hitting anybody. This is really bad choreography, and, the like, the audio is not time right, but it's fun. That starts being fun, and then we get the inward hard ER. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, ah, fuck, racism. <laughs> <laughs> we do, but I couldn't, I couldn't help but get... No small amount of joy from when the boyfriend is, like, pissed off and he says, like, yeah, right, the U.S. government's going to shell out $5 million for a couple N-words. And the coach goes, hey, don't call him that. That's his, like, racist penance. Yeah. You know, now, he that. now he can get into heaven. Hey. Well, which, is, which is funny because that coach later then gets outed for basically selling out yeah. his team to a bunch of nationals who are, who are going to ransom him for, like, millions of bucks. So, yeah. like, He's the villain! <laughs> but wait, did he? I don't uh, know. I, I mean, thought it sure, was Ginger's dad. I think it's both. Oh my God, all of us watch this movie and none of us remember <laughs> it. Yeah. We all, you all see your own Did we watch it or movie. did we dream it? Collectively. Does, do, you, do you see the problem here <laughs> that this movie creates like a mine hole? It sure is tough when you get about 20 seconds of dialogue before a fight breaks out. And then you're like, wait, where were we? But my favorite version of that is the first time it happens. They land in Hong Kong. Oh, and this is when Jackie catches up with them because Jackie is not on the track team, but she is best friends with Pam. Despite what the trailer says. The trailer said a lot of things, Greg. <laughs> a lot of promises were made in that trailer. But she comes up and hugs Pam and they catch up and they have like 30 seconds of exposition (laughs) until someone steals an old woman's purse and the two of them immediately click into, well, time for us to use our track star martial arts skills to take out these bad guys. Love it. I'm so damn respectful. They revoked my visa for Detroit. So the lead, Roseanne Caton, did all her own stunts. She's great. And she is not a martial artist. She is an actor and a what? comedian. Really? We'll add points back on. <laughs> I did like that Pam's instinct was always to throw hands. It was like, yes. it was never yeah, a never thing. Never ask questions. Pam was never ready to figure out what the situation was. Why, and why is everybody's first move a roll? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. But Pam's instincts are the correct ones because Ginger's instincts are if we do everything <laughs> they tell us to do, they're going to let us go, which is incorrect. That's never been no. the case with anything. You're going to get Stop murdered. Them. So Pam's instincts to be like, fight back at 
all term. And yes, one of us will be shot by the baddies in each yes. time we try to fight back. But yes. statistically speaking, one of us is getting out of here alive. I think that's the right call. <laughs> yeah, it's revolutionary. Yes, yeah. you know, hashtag listen to black women. You know <laughs> I do love that they get off the plane and one of them says the toughest part of every track meet is the free for all at the airport. What? The airport was way different. It wasn't no lines and shit. You just like carried your, your, your ass on a plane right. you, and you lit up a cigarette. Your family right. greeted you at the gate. Maybe I was reading this wrong, but it, it felt like they were saying the free-for-all at the airport that was like attention, was like all yeah. these fans, like, that's what right? I thought, adoring yeah. fans. Because the like... U.S. track team historically, Greg, <laughs> everyone knows yeah. their names. Everyone knows who they are. They want their autographs. I I can right. name every U.S. track team member ever. <laughs> like, you know that, like, the life of a Olympic discus thrower is, like, constantly hounded by fans, <laughs> autographs, <laughs> sex, just sex, sex, put, sex, sex all the time. so hot. You gotta put that ball somewhere. Yeah, decathletes <laughs> were like the Beatles in the 70s. They... <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> There's a lot of track and field discussion in this movie mm -hmm. for how little that actually has anything to do with <laughs> yeah. the rest of the movie. You can see it in Jesse Owens' old races. You can just see underwear being thrown from the stage. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we see that Ebony and Jade, at least, Pam and Jackie, they can fight and they fight off this mugger and maybe just, you know, take the pocketbook for themselves. The best part is when the mugger, like, he's the last man standing holding the purse and he just like sheepishly hands it back over to Pam and Pam's like, thank you. And then like knocks him out with the same purse that he handed back to her. I don't know how far your displeasure extends, Elsa, but I, I, I really like the ladies. Yeah, I want to be their friends. And I liked a lot of the dialogue that they had. I mean, specifically Casey. I think Casey has some of the best one-liners. I have some aspirin in my bag. Thanks, but I don't think it helped. Sure. You know, the whole time on our way over here, Pam kept talking about you. She kept saying how you were always there with whatever she needed. We're friends. Wish you had what I needed. And what's that? About 10 hours sleep. I don't know what y'all's uh, experiences with like 70s Filipino exploitation movies. Zero. None. Continue. I had no opinions. Yeah. <laughs> there are hundreds of these because the Philippines was very cheap to shoot in for a long time. Director Sirio Santiago, he directed 100 features. He Whew. produced 84 according to IMDb. I'm sure the number of that is actually higher because I imagine some of the Filipino Tagalog movies are not on imdb mm -hmm. he often worked with like roger corman there were a ton of these types of movies being made he was sort of a director of like early black exploitation movies this being among them tnt jackson which is also fucking awesome he also produced the first color filipino film called the blood drinkers in 1965 uh, and was named the president of the philippines film development fund in 1995 it's only to say Dude's been around forever. This is like one of his sort of earlier movies. And believe it or not, this is like one where you can tell that he like really fucking cared. He made stuff until the 90s and it gets dire for sure. Exceedingly rote, exceedingly dialogue heavy. But this one is like clearly one where he was like, no, 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 we're going to make this fucking good. And I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, the movie is like completely brainless in 80% of it. But I will say that like, I don't know, I kind of dug the fact that that A, 
everyone is selling the fight scenes and selling like everyone's acting their faces off mm-hmm. um, but i also kind of dug the fact that the movie like for 1976 is like reasonably progressive in its discussion of politics and mm-hmm. the race discrepancy as evidenced through like yeah i don't think the state department cares about black people in the same way that they care about this rich white heiress and i was just like that's very frank in a way that yeah. a yeah. lot of movies would just be like no we're gonna get saved i bet cool <laughs> let's escape okay you know yeah frank is the right word because it very much addresses all of the things that otherwise it could have just been like and they fight and then they're gone and they were got rescued i'm not gonna just sit here and wait mr reed while pamela's out there in trouble be glad it's not just her not just her but my three best girls one of them is ginger douglas now that guarantees us that the world will be keeping an eye on this yeah a couple of black girls don't guarantees a thing does it that's not what i meant it doesn't matter what you meant it's the way things are It was just an interesting angle that, like, most movies at the time tend to shy away from. The state of exploitation movies tending to be very uh, by the numbers most of the time. If you've seen one, you've seen them all. In many of them, and we'll get there, does a woman fucking yeet a dummy out of a a lattice wall? Who threw a lattice wall? More lattice work! (laughs) (laughs) That ruled. We meet Ginger in the next scene. She's being berated by her coach in the hallway. That's not Ginger. Wait, that wasn't Ginger? That's Monica. Who the fuck is Monica? Monica? Monica! The other white woman (laughs) with the longer straight hair. I'm sorry, what? Is Monica. There's another white woman? Yes, she survives longer than Jade. Oh, the the blonde. Yeah, the blonde. Are you sure? Like bleach blonde. Ginger has a different haircut. (laughs) The coach is just blowing his whistle again. (laughs) Hey, did you see a big fat man anywhere? No, I can't say that I have. I think he's been following me around all day. Monica is roommate with Betts, which is the woman with the very curly hair, who is the first person who they try to kidnap and fail, and also the first person they murder. (laughs) Yes, and the first thing she even says is, hey, did you see a big fat man around anywhere? Which is a baffling line out of context. Yep. Well, no, he was out in the hallway when they went into the room. Oh. Uh, The bald guy. Oh, I missed that. It was like a Dora the Explorer line. <laughs> Do you see the big fat man? <laughs> okay, I have to ask, the first 10 minutes of this movie, other than the establishment of the fact that they're track and field folks, that there's seemingly a gaggle of them, and that they're in Hong Kong, oh, and I guess the establishment of Pam and Jackie being yeah. friends, the rest of the information is complete nonsense. Yes, it is, yeah. <laughs> you have to infer a lot. Yeah. This movie doesn't set anything up. It doesn't explain anything. <laughs> Bitch, keep up. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. We're moving to the next scene, okay? <laughs> what happened? I don't know. <laughs> and then we get, and then the other room is Casey and Ginger, who are, uh, they, they, you know, they don't get along. Hey, it looks like the action's already started. Whatever it is, looks like you're going to be dressed for it. You got enough stuff there to open up a department store. Hey, listen, why don't we make it easy on each other, okay? I didn't ask for this room. It ain't my job to make it easy for you. That was my mama's job. Listen, I don't know what you want from me. I thought we were on the same team. I'm on my own team, girl. You want to go on that track waving the stars and stripes? You go on ahead. But don't be telling me we're on the same team. You lose here, you go back to being Miss Debutante. I lose, I'm going to be well in TV sets time 65. I didn't come here to play games. That was 
the most like I'm not here to make friends reality show like statement yeah, ever. It. That birthed that ahead of its time. <laughs> That's the first. Yeah. Elsa, you may be right. This may be the like Rosetta Stone of reality TV. It is yeah. five hot women being forced into a room together in yeah. a nondescript yeah, tropical location to compete. Yeah. One's not here to play games. The other's not here to lose. There's a lot of bitch slapping going around. Oh my they god! They seemingly are made to room with each other based on who's going to fight or fuck. Yep. And in the penultimate episode, they bring the family members in to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> to celebrate. We should outline the fact that like they're in the hotel, then they go to a bar, somebody makes a really weird bulimic joke. That girl's amazing. She never gets drunk. She never has a hangover. But she spends more time in that bathroom than a plumber. Was that what it was? I thought she was doing some booger sugar. I missed that completely, and wow. I've watched that twice. It could Again, be. You see the movie you want in this one. <laughs> right? Again, it's a magic eye. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ivory and Rorschach test. You just, you just let the images wash over you. You know, it's one of those things where they just, like, pull your eyes open and just let it absorb into your face, but you're not. Ebony, yeah. ivory, yeah. and a clockwork orange. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> Sorry, Josh. <laughs> And they get assaulted at the bar, right? Like, well, a, the, like I think that was really kidnapping Something attempt happened. number one is what happened. Was there. that it? I thought I those believe were just so. completely random people. <laughs> it could be. It, it might it, be. It could have been. Either. For the sake of narrative structure, I believe that that was a kidnapping attempt number one, which then they doubled down on and were successful the next day by just walking into this race competition's locker room and holding all these girls at gunpoint. I was actually surprised that a movie featuring a bunch of soon-to-be Playboy Playmates would have actually any nudity. I'm surprised that it didn't because that's kind of like the bread and butter of 1970s exploitation movies, especially ones right. that are led by females. So props to this movie for just being like, they'll just act and kick the shit out of people and that's enough. And I was like, right. you know what, movie? I agree. Yeah. You don't need <laughs> to objectify them. Well, you need to, you throw the nudity in when the movie's getting slow and this one don't slow <laughs> yeah, down. It don't slow <laughs> down. There's no, there was no space. No space for them titties. Uh, they could have had a little nip slip. I was looking. Right. You know, sometimes they don't catch everything and edit in these type of movies, you know? Oh, this movie wasn't edited. It was just shot like that. What the hell is this? Me? Hey, are you a deaf mute? Uh, do you talk English? Shh. They do not talk English. And neither do you. You do not talk English or Chinese or French or anything. If you say one word... You die. The bathroom scene happens, and the gang, led by Lou, he comes in and lets them know that they are being kidnapped now. And to show that they mean business, they shotgun blast the bulimic cokehead. And I don't like how they set that up, right? They set that up to make us not feel bad about her. Oh, yeah. And that woman needed yeah. help. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so bathroom lady gets killed. Uh, and then another woman gets killed. Yeah, the, like, New Yorker kind of attitude one. Yeah. I'm so glad right. you remember these things, Jamie, yeah. because I wrote a lot of notes and none of those were plot points. <laughs> <laughs> 
get shot by the guy who saves them in the end. Yes. But I oh, guess they forgive God, him. That, I guess that, that evens that it That murder is just, oh, okay, well, all right, that's for now. And then, well, and then in between, the shotgun gets kicked, and because, of course, it shoots a water main so that our ladies are well doused during their locker room Be- fight scene. Because that's how guns work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Casey yeah. picks up a fucking bench and just, like, holds back, like, seven of the guys in the doorway. Fucking Hodor's the uh, gang back. Pam gets in some fighting. Jackie, who is not on the team but is hanging out, like, sees the guys outside the bathroom. But she's for the team. But it's all for naught. The criminals get them and somehow get them out of the facility. Yeah. <laughs> so, we cut right out of the kidnapping scene to a news broadcast informing us of everything that happens off screen. And then we're in one of four or so scenes of the CIA trying to work out whether or not they're going to pay the ransom that they're being asked for our Olympian ladies. The CIA has infiltrated every place in the world. From what I've heard, you guys have spies in every Girl Scout troop in Asia. So if you got so many spies, why can't you do a little goddamn spying? Yeah, I'll wait. What else am I supposed to do? Look up the kidnappers on the yellow pages? They ought to change their name to just Central Agency. Their intelligence is nil. That's the sort of joke you can make when you're on that side of the desk and people are there working yep. for you. It's not to like make matters more complicated, but there's a sprinkling of scenes amongst these where it's people just speaking Tagalog and like there's no oh, sure. there's no, no subtitles. Yeah. No yeah. subtitles? <laughs> did you have this on VHS, Greg? Yeah. Did you watch did it have subtitles on your version? No. No, okay. I think, and I think that that's purposeful. I think you're just supposed to infer that things are happening. I mean, I'm sure also nah, it's like, that. it's for <laughs> the Filipino audience. Like, nah, fuck like that. I'm sure. Because there does seem to be some level of like understanding that like this is going to play in the Philippines. Because yeah. I believe the guy who shows up in 19 scenes or so, who looks like late era James Brown, who's just like wearing like the, the, the green like cabbie hat thing. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure his name is Max Alvarado, who would be recognizable to Filipino audiences because ah. he was a, a famous award winner. And famous is the Filipino Motion Picture Society. Like, mm. it would have been like the mm. Filipino version of the Oscars. I, I was like, look at this guy. I was like, this guy has to be famous because they're not giving him any lines and they're hanging on him for a long time. <laughs> it's like the equivalent of Daniel Day-Lewis just in the background of a movie giggling. Yeah. <laughs> dressed as fucking like Benicio Del Toro in Fear and Loathing. Like... <laughs> This is wild. I do think that, like, the scenes in, that are in Tagalog are purposefully, like, confusing to So they white. don't want us to know the movie. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. So they don't want we, us to know the I movie. I mean, I'm going to say something. We got a lot of information in English that we did not clean. <laughs> <laughs> To be honest, the fact that they weren't speaking English was a reprieve to me. I was like, yeah. great, I don't have to write anything. <laughs> the, re- the relief from needing to spend microscopic attention to every word. Wag mo ako masyadong asarin. Kilala mo naman ako, ah. Mas makabubuti pang sumama ka sa amin. Sapagat natitiya kong ayaw mong mapahiya sa lugar mong ito. Nick Dorenzi? Yes. Rusty Wade. How are you? Uh, have a drink while I finish my business. It won't take long. Well, it's also to show us that as uh, we're being introduced to Nick Dorenzi. Nick Dorenzi. Are the movie's badass. The, he's an ex-CIA agent, I think? 
I, uh, he's like a free agent. He's a soldier yeah. of fortune. Yeah, mercenary. He's in the mercenary game. The diplomat sends Rusty to Nick Dorenzi because he thinks that Nick Dorenzi's the kind of guy who might be able to get to the bottom of this. And immediately they get in a fight together. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. Get in a, For and the reason is not clear to us. It, mu- it, mu- it probably was clearer to the Filipino audience, but it was not, <laughs> but maybe not. Clear to us, I also but. wouldn't be surprised if the lines were just that being like, white people are watching this movie and they're going to think that we're saying something Yeah, I meaningful. was just about to say, they're not saying nothing. <laughs> peas and carrots, peas and carrots, peas and carrots, peas and carrots. The other guys are asking Nick Dorenzi, so are you Jade? What is the title name? Are you Jade? No, no, no. I think one of the girls is Jade. There's girls in this movie? Yeah, but not in our scenes. <laughs> Just a quick sidebar about that. So in 1979, I believe, three years after this movie, there is a CBS pilot, which gets called a TV movie because if a pilot doesn't get picked up on IMDb, it's listed as a TV movie. And it's called Ebony and Ivory and Jade. And the Jade in that is a white guy named Nick Jade. So it, he was kind of like their Charlie to their Charlie's Angels. So is it too... It's yes. Women? It's, it's a, a black two women. and white woman. Yes. I'm Who guessing. are like dancers. Or is it, or is yeah. it like Brittany Ebony? <laughs> She's white too. Sorry. <laughs> Which makes it even more baffling than this. <laughs> but also like makes exactly as much sense as this movie. Like, yeah. as Elsa yeah. pointed out, we go from skin color, skin color, and then like country of origin. It's tenuous. <laughs> I don't like it. Group of threes, man. You got it. It's the rule of threes. <laughs> right. You can't have an odd one out. Quick aside, Casey. Yes. Black woman, white woman. But also their names are Claire Ebony Bryant and Maggie Ivory David. Wait, it's their, it's their middle name. It's their middle name, or their their well, like, not nickname. Not if it's not in quotes. It's not. I was hoping it was Claire Ebony Bryant and Keenan Ivory Wings. Yes, <laughs> and actually, <laughs> Greg, yes, they are in quotes. <laughs> oh, okay, so so it's just their nicknames. Okay. That's their nickname. Okay. I was really yes. hoping it was their actual born middle yes. name. Oh god, that would be so good if the CIA is just going through list serves of people being bored and they're just. <laughs> Looking for middle names, and they're just like, "We have an ivory. We have an ivory." <laughs> like, okay, in eighteen years, we're gonna have a sick double agent. Yeah. But the titular Ebony in that is the legendary Debbie Allen. Okay, that's what I yeah. thought this movie was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for your loss. I think also why I was so confused. I was just like, this does not like look Debbie like Debbie. Okay, thank you. That made sense. Okay, this makes sense. You know how you always see the woman in the cowboy movies that's tied up and she rubs the ropes against the chair and gets loose? Yeah. Don't believe it. I liked the moment where, I mean, I didn't like it, but it was a great moment when one of the, maybe it's Casey, gets taken off and they're like, they're going to rape her, which obviously sucks. But then she like kicks their ass and they're just yep. like, did you bite it off? And she's like, that's next. And I was like, okay. fuck yes. Casey is the best and should have been in the title. I, I really did like that back and forth where they're sexually assaulting her, but she's maintaining a, a conversation with people in the other room. What's going on? I put that bite on him. Did you bite it off? That's next. Oh. All right. All right. That's enough. I mean, it's all excuses for medium quality kung fu. But, and and I'm going to push back on, on Elsa in terms of, uh, I think the fight scenes are awesome. There are far too many of them. Which and is I like wish a I wild... could see some of them. <laughs> it's a weird complaint. Like, yeah. It's a weird yeah. complaint. They, but they like... lost their gaffer halfway through this movie. That's my biggest complaint. Oh, they complaints. never had a gaffer. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> Roseanne Caton is 
doing some serious fucking stunt work. She is flipping around like a goddamn maniac. Okay, this is what I'll say. It was amusing, but so frustrating. Because just one notch better of acting, you could sell that punch. (laughs) There's something that happens, and and I watch a decent amount of early to mid-70s Hong Kong chopsaki movies. There's something that happens when you cast a martial artist, not an actor, as your lead. Kind of like casting a stunt person in a lead role. There's a woodenness to the acting, and then usually there's also a thing that happens, unless you have like an amazing choreographer where there's also kind of a woodenness to the fighting. It's impressive, and there's, like, moves that are cool. It's almost like, move, move, move. What it is is you can hear them counting. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's almost like voguing, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, right, where they're like, look, I did a cool move. I used to watch a lot of America's Best Dance Crew. um, (laughs) Nice. And one of my things was the groups that I didn't like were the ones where you could see people like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and move, yeah. move, move, move. And you can tell it. You can tell when people, the same way like you can tell when people are reading off a teleprompter sure. or something, you know? Mm. You, can, you can tell when you're counting out your steps and your moves. So the thing with Bruce Lee, culturally speaking, right, is that he kind of tore that down. He was faster than everyone. He was more fluid than everyone. It created a type of fighting style on screen where you it wasn't like these complex series of moves where everyone is sort of have to be like hyper choreographed and it was a much more fluid fighting style. And I think that this movie does that in a way that like, of course, never in Bruce Lee's even ballpark, but a lot of movies, especially when low budget actors are doing their own stunts, they have this woodenness that this movie, like it feels like everyone in it knows what they're doing and like is actually fighting, even if they're not like landing any punches or kicks. Yeah. There's a certain competency to it. So I, I, I appreciated this movie like appeal to being like let's do these fight scenes where it looks like they're actually fighting and moving and it's not hyper choreographed I think the drawback of that would be like maybe a little bit more choreography would be good. <laughs> and it's diminishing returns right? It's they're, like there's right. when the movie is about a group of women albeit athletic and capable needing to like fight their way out of this situation every time they try and fight their way out of the situation you're getting a little bit less and they do it so much that you really have to in the last fight they do but you really have to ramp up the fights sure and it's tired of of it it's sort of you really need to like wow, you got to kick our doors in at a certain point. And I think until someone gets thrown through a wall or and like the big fight in the cemetery. The fight in the cemetery is fucking awesome. I yeah. loved I wish I could have seen it. <laughs> yes. What I saw. That's what I'm talking about. I really love. The first few fight scenes are great. Yes, the, the middle ones become a bit of like mush. But then there's like a scene that'll come in where they're just like, okay, and now they have guns. And so now it's spray and pray, which I also love. Also gets tiring, sure. but like anytime a 60 pound woman is shooting a 40 pound assault <laughs> rifle yeah. is like beauty in my eyes. It's, that's pretty prima. Well, if it ain't Julia Child, bon appetit. I guess it should be said the reasons why these women are being kidnapped. First, it just seems like they want money because they're Americans. They kidnap them. They can get a hefty ransom from the American government. Then the evolution is, okay, well, they don't want to pay. And as the lead gang leader points out. We must be philosophical about this. 
It may be difficult for you to remain philosophical about losing $5 million. When a person loses her value, she becomes flesh. And flesh has a value all its own. So we lose nothing. We can only profit. I mean, I'm not even sure what that's about. I, right. Was that like about like sex trafficking, yeah, sex- or was he going to eat? <laughs> <laughs> and there are a lot of lines in this movie that are acted as if there is meaning, but like the, yeah. what they say is like legitimate nonsense. <laughs> the one that epitomized it for me is when towards the three quarters mark of the movie or whatever, all the gals who have spent the movie fighting physically or but also just like arguing before they were kidnapped after they were kidnapped they're in this you know high tension situation and there's you know that scene where they all sit around and they finally understand each other a little more fighting won't get us anywhere i never thought i'd hear you say that i tried it i almost got raped i don't want to hear about that it's nothing to be afraid of after this happened i'd rather be afraid yeah, what? It's poetry, but like a E.E. E. Cummings poem, where it's like, yeah. it's poetry, but it's sort of nonsense. You gotta bring the poetry, too. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> B-Y-O-P. Is poetry in the sense that it is words that create a reaction. So you see, my friends, the old rule about playing both ends against the middle is not necessarily true. The Americans refused to pay us. We knew they would. But we get paid for our trouble with a $10,000 bonus. And then we turn around and do business with Mr. Chang. We get money for taking them, and we get money for getting rid of them. It is not Western politics that keeps me from being a communist. It is Western money. It is Western money that keeps you from being free. And I suppose you'll turn down your share. Yeah. The young are often trapped by their own innocence. My only innocence was believing what you said. We kidnapped them because we wanted to show the world that Americans did not belong here. The guy who killed one of them in the bathroom and then later bust them out is disappointed because he was under the impression that Lou, his gang leader, had kidnapped the women because they were American, claiming he was a radical communist trying to, like, push American influence out of Hong, Hong Kong. Kong, Philippines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter. <laughs> well, here's, here's why it matters. Here's why that is interesting in the real world if not interesting in the movie the gang leader Lou is played by Butts uh, Aquino Aquino however you say it his, his name is Butts now I needed Butts. to find the guy named Butts I needed to know who Butts was and it was the the main bad guy the family Aquino is essentially if it wasn't for their political leanings I would say uh, Filipino royalty. He was the son of a politician who was himself the son of a politician. During this time in the Philippines, while this movie is being made, they are under the rule of Ferdinand Marcos, who is mm-hmm. who was a dictator, who uh, was elected to president. His first term was great. A lot of economic growth for the country. Uh, second term, stuff started to turn. He started to just dismantle all the democratic institutions of the Philippines. His regime, documentation by Amnesty International says, was responsible for over 3,200 known extrajudicial killings, 35,000 documented tortures, 77 leaders of his opposition were disappeared, and it jailed nearly 70,000 people. And some people were uh, shot just in the street. Casey. Some people were dropped out of helicopters. 
I, I, this is sad. <laughs> <laughs> no, it gets it gets sadder. <laughs> People were dropped out of helicopters. People were tortured. It even said, uh, maybe referenced by the even flesh is valuable line. Bodies were found in the street having been cannibalized. Like this, yeah, shit went dark in the Philippines at this time. And he had put the country under martial law for like a decade. And we, they're still in the is middle of it. Is this in the movie? No, this is the, this is the real IRL. Now, Butts Aquino, or Aquino, his brother, who was at the time a politician, and even at the time uh, of this movie, shooting this movie, was in prison for opposing the leader. He uh, later- Corazon Aquino? Was his was that his brother? Corazon Aquino was his was this guy's wife. Oh my so god! So his bro- the the Butts Aquino, uh, his brother what? Ninoy Aquino. Yeah, he was in prison for eight years by this dictator. In 1980, his sentence was commuted so that he could go to the U.S. and get heart bypass surgery. While he was in the U.S. in the in the early 80s, he became like a sort of like celebrity, a, a big time advocate of like uh, bringing democracy back to the Philippines. And then in 1983, when he finally went back to the Philippines, probably in the airport that now bears his name, probably the airport featured in this movie, as he stepped off the plane, he was shot in the head. And what? Dope. He, uh, they domed him as he was stepping off the plane. His brother, who is the bad guy in this movie, then himself got into politics, started the August 21 movement, and was like a leader in the People Power Revolution that disposed this dictator in 1986, I think? Yeah, Corazon took over in 1986. For the record, I was the Philippines on the Security Council in Model UN in high school, and I remember none of what I researched. (laughs) (laughs) The bad guy in this movie, while his brother in real life is in jail for being in opposition to the dictatorship currently in power, it makes this movie where he plays a guy who uses people's desire for a communist revolution to sell women into sex slavery. Yeah. Now, that stuff doesn't make the movie any better, but it (laughs) made my Googling a lot more interesting. Okay, full circle. So when did Jackie die? Excellent question. When it's revealed that there's nothing political about this move, that Lou just wants to sell them into sex slavery to a, a mysterious Mr. Chang. They get the women onto a boat and they say, we don't we don't want another escape attempt. So they inject them with a, oh, yeah. with a drug. A sleeping potion. Party time. I guess it's like heroin or morphine or something, you know, like a, some sort of an opiate because it has OD'd Jackie by the time they get off. Oh! oh and then, okay. yeah, when they get out of the truck, they, they find Jackie dead. The radical communist who ends up bringing them out he sees jackie dead i think that also pushes him towards even though he's already murdered a couple women (laughs) but also whatever uh, jackie's death inspires in the nameless communist (laughs) it inspires something much better in our girl casey they're in the room and she's picturing jackie we're getting flashes of jackie's dead body and that enrages her so that she grabs her captor and she's the discus thrower, spins his body around. Yes. Fuck yes. Hell yes. And it is 100% a dummy. <laughs> I don't care. I don't give a shit. Because she then, yeah, throws him through a lattice wall. And then Pam, uh, as uh, is her instinct in any situation, starts fighting the other guys. Hell yes. 
And uh, she, I don't know if it was her reacting to Casey throwing a guy through a wall, but she does like a punch a guy away and then like jazz hands. <laughs> <laughs> like Liza's at the end of the fight. You gotta give him a little razzle down. Yeah. <laughs> then the, yeah, then the communist helps them get away, betrays Lou. You gotta love how disorganized this crime syndicate is that they jump into this fucking slow ass moving ice cream truck. I, Honestly, don't know if I've ever seen a movie in my life that has a chase scene that involves running out of gas yeah. as a major plot point in it. In a non-comedy? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. In, a, in a serious... I mean, they did spare us a car chase, which I appreciate. Like, <laughs> the one thing this movie did not What need. they ran out of is money for the car chase. <laughs> right. That's what it was. Yeah, they run to a, a really cool-looking cemetery. After a really sweet sunset profile shot where they run across screen, and, it, and I was like, oh, okay, they know how to shoot a thing during Magic Hour. But then the sun went down, and they don't have any other option but to shoot in the dark then. And that's why... <laughs> why the rest of the movie is in complete pitch black. And they all fight, except Ginger. Ginger never does shit. Ginger <laughs> doesn't deserve yeah, to be a title, title character. Yeah, take the ivory out of there. I guess it makes sense, though, if you think about the fact that she is very entitled. <laughs> nice. Okay, this is the other kill that I love, where Casey javelins a man to death. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. That was what which I is was a, Which is another, yeah, we, we so we have Discus and we have Javelin. And then we also have in the same scene, she picks up what, like, the equivalent of, like, a shot put on a chain and yeah, starts yeah, whipping right? it around like a flail. And I yeah. was like, where, is, where was this? God, that was good. And you knew that this was the part of the movie where they had a budget because they had a jib for, like, three shots. Well, yeah. either a jib or, like, a construction crane. Either, either or. <laughs> now, Mr. Santiago, I have great news. We... Got the location. We locked down the cemetery location. It's great. It's going to be great. Our budget constraints, though, are either we can uh, light the movie (laughs) or we could lift the camera for like two or three shots. (laughs) Oh, the lift. Definitely the lift. Then Liu, the bad guy, kills communist guy, shoots him for betraying him. They honeypot a, a, a couple of villagers out of their love one it. mode of transportation. <laughs> I love I love that uh, Pam's way of honeypotting those. Fellas! Hi! How you doing? Um, um, I was wondering if you could help me. Um, you speak English? Oh, you know, you're really kind. <laughs> uh, oh, thank you. Thanks a lot. Listen, I was going to ask you. Oh, whoop. I, I think I have to go. I'll see you soon. Bye. That's it. Can I remind you that breasts are a thing? Yeah. Like Who'd you like a reminder Jesus. of breasts? <laughs> And then they don't made it. Then they get caught again because apparently everyone always knows where they are. At all times. And this is when we find out, for some inexplicable reason, Ginger's dad is in on the kidnapping. According to New York, Mr. Douglas is Ginger's stepfather. There are some stocks and inheritance involved. The girl seems to be the main stumbling block. And besides, Ginger's real father set up Douglas in the first place. Right. What's up? I'll tell you on the way. Let's go. I know that was supposed to be like a twist or something, 
But when you're too confused, yeah. Anyway, it's just like what? Well, it's funny. They do say, "Wait, why?" Is like there's something with the inheritance. I assumed that we were going to learn more, and that was it. They were just like, "That's enough information." That you <laughs> yeah, need. and you're just like, "But it, aren't you the one giving the inheritance? Why you would you just there write be- her out of the will? Like aren't if you if you yeah. hate your daughter that much." Like, damn, you didn't just jump to writing her out of the will first before you sold her into, like, sex trafficking? What the hell? Yeah. yeah. What the hell, low-budget Colonel Sanders? <laughs> it's just like, I need to hold on to this money that I'm going to give up when I die. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I love a movie that is like, we're going to give you plot. And they thought of legitimately interesting twists in terms of, like, if the coach is in on it, if the dad's in on it, like, there's a lot of sort of drama between the characters. The bones of this movie is, like, honestly, like, way more interesting than 90% of this type of movie. And they were like, you know what? We built this really great framework Let's explain none of it and just make it a vehicle for punching. And you're like, all you need to do for that is just put them in the kidnapping. You don't need any of these other characters at all. If all you need is punching, just do the A plot. There are four or five other plots that were completely unnecessary. If you're going to make it just about punching, why even have it? It's kind of the inverse of every other one of these movies where there's so much explanation of things in service of just having punching and kicking. And this movie is like, no, no, we have the bones of something. We won't give you any of it. But also there's punching and kicking to take away from whatever plot, (laughs) good plot plot. we might have. Personally, when I can't explain things, I just punch it. (laughs) (laughs) Daddy! Oh, daddy. Daddy. You know what to do. Take care away. If you were to just lay out the plot of this movie and keep out the fighting, if you were to just explain it, a group of white and black American Olympic athletes are kidnapped under the guise of it being a political ploy actually to be sold into sex slavery. They spend most of the movie trying to stay alive while also discussing the different circumstances that brought them there, also the different circumstances of their life based on their race in America. Also, Yvette from Clue is in the movie. Yes! (laughs) The the, the maid from Clue uh, is there. And then at the end, uh, they... uh, uh, never mind. I, I got I, my tangent was off, but... <laughs> much like the much like the movie, it just peters off just like that. Yeah, You're right. I, I, I guess right, it's Casey, like Casey. So, Casey, wow. stop punching Elsa. I, I guess I agree with you, Elsa. That it is like I I wish I didn't feel this, but it was the punching really does take away a lot in this movie. <laughs> really yeah, lets man. a lot of air out of what is an interesting balloon. And the final showdown is like it's not choreographed particularly well. Like it's it doesn't have the sort of triumphant yeah. oomph that you hope but it does have a few pretty rad set pieces that do happen so nick and rusty show up and they start kicking ass and casey pam and ginger start kicking ass ginger's dad shows up ginger's dad shoots her which is yeah. fucking yeah. cold that was probably my cold. Cold as hell she ultimately shoots her dad which is great and then great. pam just beats the shit out of him with a pipe Seemingly afterwards to death 
Yeah, I would well, too. I think he's dead. I think she's yeah. just. Dead. Oh, I think he's like already dead. Because if he wasn't, yeah, he yeah. would be. Lou gets put into a laundry press, I think, because I think they're in like what? a laundry warehouse. Yeah, he gets crushed by two big rollers from Family Double Dare. <laughs> 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 well, because he and Nick Dorenzi have the actual final fight. Wasn't there a moment, or was it earlier, where Lou's like, "Ah, Nick, you know, you could come work for me," and yeah. I was like, "Oh, that's an interesting little throwaway," well, and, and it's cool because. He, he's like, yeah, I'm already on a job. Like, yeah, he, he's I sort like of like, ca- kind of awesome. also also kind of assumes that if he wasn't, that maybe you know, not no, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> they have like a mutual respect. They know they're both two of the big the big bulls at the farm, and they know one day they're gonna need to lock horns. But will that day be today? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, were they? Were they then? Yes. Of course, kind of salute at each other, throw their guns on the ground because <laughs> Honor. because Honor. the stranger. Renzi, the moment we've been waiting for. And start a showdown fight that, to be honest, I don't really remember. But there's so much cross cutting, and there's so many characters, yeah. and you're just like. Then they smash cut to Pam winning a race, and that's the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. The end. The yeah, end. Uh, that's... She won. Well, Ginger's definitely not going to win that race after being shot in the leg by her father. So. <laughs> yeah, how... Right. At the, uh, it was like, oh, right. They are at the Olympics. They're at the Olympics. <laughs> right. right. They're runners. The Olympics. And the coach isn't there at the end, so maybe, yeah, maybe he's probably he was in on it. I mean, I mean, to be fair, the, the last shot is just recycled footage from the opening, <laughs> the titles, opening yeah, but now yeah. it's in color versus in black and white, which it was at the beginning. That's Ebony, Ivory, and Jade. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Jade's in the movie for about a second. Yep. Yeah, you got you to include her. Jade sold separately. <laughs> It was the ripoff report card. <laughs> Thinking up songs on the spot is hard. <laughs> ripoff report card. The Ebony and Ivory and Jade ripoff report card is brought to you by the limited edition Ebony and Ivory and Jade Steinway Pianos. We have absolutely no idea how we'll ever see a return on an investment for this idea. Please buy one. <laughs> When I first set out to write the rip-off report card for Ebony and Ivory and Jade, I thought I had an easy job ahead of me based on the trailers. It's a Charlie's Angels rip-off, I thought, so the history of Charlie's Angels rip-offs would be perfect. Little did I know that actually this movie was in no way Charlie's Angels. So, (laughs) scrapping that idea, we now turn this segment into Video High Nightline to look at... Sports kidnappings. (gasps) (laughs) Although not very prevalent amongst athletes in America, it is a trend recognized all too well around the world. Athletes or relative of athletes being abducted by armed kidnappers hoping to cash in on hefty ransoms. It makes sense as a crime. Although athletes have superstar statuses, they don't have the similar protections of Hollywood stars or politicians, and vulnerable people are left unprotected in vulnerable communities. In 2016, Mexican soccer player Alan Pulido was rescued in... Tamalipas after being abducted by four armed kidnappers, demanding a ransom from his family. In 2014, Juventus star Carlos Tevez paid 
$100,000 ransom for his kidnapped father in Argentina. Nationals catcher Wilson Ramos was kidnapped in 2011. Many major league players say they consistently worry about their loved ones back home, and former Giants catcher Guillermo Quiroz once told USA Today that some Venezuelan players hire bodyguards when they go home. Australian golfer Robert Allenby was kidnapped, robbed, and beaten in Hawaii. Wilson Palacios, a midfielder for the Stoke City soccer team, had his 14-year-old brother kidnapped, and despite paying $500,000 in ransom, he was sadly never returned. There are countless unfortunate stories across sports, including fairly recently the attempted kidnapping of Joe Montana's grandchild in September 2020. One can fairly easily draw some lines and conclusions to the economic disparity and exploitation of those we promote to be athletic superstars, and perhaps it's a trend we should focus on and look for ways to reform, especially as the conversation about reforming major sports competitions such as the Olympics and the World Cup comes to the forefront once again. Although all the above stories were motivated by ransoms and money, one of the most famous sports kidnappings in history is, of course, the politically motivated Munich Massacre at the 1972 Summer Olympics. Eight members of the terrorist group Black September took nine members of the Israeli Olympic team hostage. At 4.30 a.m. on September 5th, the Black September group used stolen keys to enter the two apartments being used by the team in the Olympic Village, and after a bloody intrusion that left two athletes dead, took nine hostage. After a day of failed negotiations and a horribly botched rescue attempt that turned into a two-hour gunfight, 11 Israeli Olympic team members, five Black September attackers, and one policeman were dead. The attempts to de-escalate the crisis were criticized for the Munich police force being woefully unprepared and the ignoring of warnings that could have prevented it. It was also a crisis broadcast entirely by television, which led to the incredible amount of miscommunication during the ordeal, including the media accidentally providing the terrorists with information such as how snipers were positioned. Despite this tragedy, the 1972 Olympics resumed after a one-day mourning period. Though not exactly a kidnapping, one final sports-related murder is that of Michael Jordan's father, James R. Jordan Sr. On July 23, 1993, while returning home from playing golf, Jordan Sr. pulled over on U.S. Highway 74 near Lumberton, North Carolina to take a nap. Two passerbys, Daniel Andre Green and Larry Martin Demery, spotted the car Michael had recently purchased for his father, a red Lexus SC400. They pulled over and shot Jordan to death while he slept in the car. They stole the vehicle and only realized after going through the belongings in the car that James was the father of Michael Jordan, finding two NBA championship rings. The two made several calls from Jordan's cell phone and as a result were immediately captured. Although an absolute tragedy, it is interesting to note that James is a brief character in the 1996 movie Space Jam, and the film does acknowledge his death as a catalyst for Michael choosing to retire and pursue his father's passion of professional baseball instead. The animated movie featuring Bugs Bunny and Bill Murray does not make mention of the more gruesome facts behind this real-life career shift, but Michael does help the Toon Squad defeat the Monstars, if that's any solace. No word yet if Space Jam 2 will be similarly rooted in the not-often-talked about exploitation of sports stars' salaries and the threat it plays to their loved ones. And this has been a real bummer of a rip-off report card. <laughs> I feel like we need a slow, minor key version yeah, of the, the rip-off record card music just to a, play under the that. The dirge version. We can't yeah. play the regular one. It's too bright. Yeah, I'll do more appropriate rip-off report card outro music, Jamie. Thank you. Walk a chicka, walk a chicka, walk a chicka, walk a chicka. That was the ripoff report card. Walk a chicka, walk a chicka, walk a chicka. See, it was slower. So it's sad. All right, that classmates was Ebony, Ivory, and Jade. As with all movies we watch here at Video High, what are we walking away with? 
what could be on the final test. Stay tuned for my new CBS primetime spinoff, Casey on the Case, which we follow Casey <laughs> as she kicks butt and solves crimes and actually survives until the end of each episode. Seriously, why wasn't she a title character? Nothing makes sense anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love the fact that we just spent two hours like picking apart this movie in gruesome detail and suddenly we lived happily ever after, freeze frame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we spent two hours on a movie that needed to be about 30 minutes. <laughs> Yes. Uh, did you guys see a big fat guy walking around anywhere? Ah! <laughs> uh, I guess I just want to say that I'm glad Jamie out bummered me. <laughs> I'm glad the sadness of my uh, political killing story was way outweighed by Jamie's ripoff report. <laughs> And the bell means the end of another lesson here at Video High. But don't worry, there's still something you can do for me. Tell us your thoughts about the movies we've covered or ones that we should at Video High Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and at videohigh.pod on Twitter. Or you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review, preferably five stars. Tell us what you think of the show or just say hi. Next, we are going to be covering the 1987 finely feathered fright fest that is Beaks, an Alfred Hitchlock ripoff with something to say. Thank you, Seth Applebaum of Ghost Funk Orchestra and Gabriella Tessitore of the band Scout Harris for our theme song. Justin Ferraro of the band The Rizzos for our bed music. Ann Shearer for our logo. And Mr. Philip Marlowe, our teacher from the whole class. Greg Hansen, Jamie Kennedy, Josh Roth, and myself, Casey Regan. And thank you so much to our exchange student for this episode, Elsa Eli Waith. Yeah. Woo. Round of applause, everyone. Thank yeah, yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. Is there anything you want to plug, talk about, send people to? Yeah, most definitely. Of course, find me on Twitter, at Elsa, just Elsa. And then also check out my uh, guerrilla education project that I do with my partner. It's called Slavers of New York. We're uh, exposing the slave history in New York and how it still affects us today. And uh, yeah, that can be found across social media at Slavers of NY. And also do listen to the Your Fine podcast, which I really Oh yeah, I, my, I my, really fu- my like. own fucking podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Check out Your Fine, Y-O-U-R-E, Fine, Your Fine podcast. Yeah, it's Across a, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Very funny and at times uh, meaningful and lovely podcast. Yeah, it's about a comedy, comedy and self-care podcast. Do you guys want to join my newest cause, my bowel movement? Nice. <laughs> I thought we might have got out of this without a poop joke. Nah. It's a podcast with a bunch of non-comedians. Yeah, it's a poop it's joke. It's going to be poop jokes. Uh, 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 in your ear. Podcast Network. <laughs>